When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Gobi Regev from Please Cheese, thank you for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thank you, Neil. Thank you for inviting me today. So let's start off with uh, what you were doing before you got involved in the food industry, because I know this is your first uh, foray into the magical world of uh, food manufacturing and food distribution. Yeah, uh, that's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, and I say magical because it is a crazy world. That's why. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, don't even get me started on this. Why? Well, I think you just got me started on this world. Um, my background is kind of all over the place. My first job out of college uh, was in the real estate industry here in New York, and I I just got in. This is. You know, this is actually really funny. I'm going to say it this way. I got into real estate thinking I can escape the Jewish stereotype. And then I got there on my first, I got my first job and they sat me in my section and I introduced myself. They're like, oh, hi, what's your name? I said, Kobe. And I turned and everybody started going, Shalom, Kobe, Shalom, Shalom. And so I have realized that no matter what I do in life, I'm just, I'm just stuck within uh, being a Jewish stereotype. So uh, the back to, to add to that is I'm from New York city. I grew up in Israel. Uh, and the whole time I lived in Israel, all I wanted to do was move back to New York. So I'm tr- a true New Yorker. I love this place more than anywhere else, anywhere else on earth. Uh, and my family uh, is in the jewelry industry. My mom is a famous uh, designer, and my dad is a famous private label manufacturer. If you can think of any Fifth Avenue brand, they've made products for them at one point or another. Uh, and I, having grown up in that industry, always knew that was the last thing I wanted to do. So that's why when I was out of college, my, my family was like, oh, you should come work here and do this and do that. I'm like, no, I need to find something not stereotypical. <laughs> and, uh, and I learned really quickly uh, that I, I'm stuck in, in that life because the job I got into afterwards was in television okay. uh, <laughs> and in the entertainment industry. Uh, so I really just, uh, continue (laughs) on that trajectory. Um, and I was working, I, 
and and how I did it, how I got into TV is I had a cousin. It's all family. So I had a, a cousin who looked at me uh, one summer and she was like, what are you doing this summer? And I was right in between uh, jobs. I worked in real estate. I was uh, as a real estate agent. And then I fell. I'm, I love photography and I decided I should be a real estate photographer. Uh, and I, I drew floor plans. I did all that stuff. And then my cousin asked me what I was doing that summer. And I said, uh, just real like photography and stuff like that. And she's like, well, you sh I'm looking for a PA for this new, um, uh, trivia show. I'd love if you could, uh, come on board for the summer. So I did a deal with her that I would schedule my, uh, show my, photography or whatever around their schedule, their production schedule. And I started as the a production assistant, the, bot the bottom of the totem pole. Um, but I loved it because what I realized very quickly is no one who uh, comes, like who is in the entertainment industry, who was in their 20s, I was in my 20s at the time, is actually from New York City. And you have to be crazy uh, to, to be from New York City and work in television because they pay you so little, you can't actually afford to live in Manhattan. Um, so you have to like stack up and live with roommates and like, you know, an hour from here. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons uh, the TV industry, they start at 10, not at nine, because people have to come from so far away. So you definitely have to uh, be a little nuts to actually be willing to be a production assistant. Um, but I loved it because I was the New Yorker. And so instead of, uh, you know, an assignment, there would be like, go to Chinatown, get this and that. Um, uh, we'll expect you back in, you know, at, by the end of the day. Uh, and they'd give me money for cabs and whatever. And I was like, no, I know where I'm going. And I get <laughs> on the subway, you know, and I get there during rush hour and with huge, like, plaques and things like that coming from Chinatown. And one time they sent me to Harlem to get chicken feathers, which is a whole nother story. Uh, and one of the reasons I'm vegan today. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's where I started. And, and I loved it because I felt even though I was at the bottom of the totem pole, the whole production relied on what I was doing. And even though it was small assignments here and there, um, because I knew how to do it quickly uh, and efficiently, I helped bring the production into schedule. And just very coincidentally, towards the uh, when they actually started taping the show, uh, they needed someone with Photoshop skills. And being a photographer and just loving Photoshop from a really young age, I, I, I was like, I know how to use it. <laughs> and instead of hiring somebody for like, thousands of dollars uh an hour they, they kept on paying me whatever they're paying me uh and i got to get a better credit uh when the show uh finally aired and that got me onto a lot of other small uh projects i was a cameraman a driver like just like really small roles until i landed a gig on uh who wants to be a millionaire and that was, I had two interviews. One was to be, um, um, what's it called? An audience coordinator. So just the guy who like gets an audience to come in and spend half their day in, in a cold studio watching five tapes, tapings of a show. Uh, and, um, 
there was just another position available and I interviewed to, to work in the graphics room. So that was mm -hmm. a computer. Uh, like when you say final answer or whatever, that was, that's the room. That was the guy <laughs> that I, I, I ended up working for. And it was probably the best job I ever had in my life. It was so much fun. Uh, and now I also have, and I'm, I've sworn to secrecy. I can't ever tell what these answers are. Uh, but I know four <laughs> of the million dollar <laughs> questions uh, from from 12 years ago, I'm sure. <laughs> not relevant now, but. Uh... They're absolutely not relevant. And the contract was for 10 years, so I'm good at this point. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was uh, probably the coolest job uh, I ever had. And just as that uh, production wrapped up, literally like uh, a, a month afterwards, Someone in my family, uh, close to my family, that was working for my family, passed away very suddenly, uh, and and just unexpectedly, it, it it was very traumatic for all of us. And at that point, I decided I needed to step up and stop worrying about like what was fun for me and what was important for my family. Uh, so that that's that. That's how I got it back into the jewelry industry and just kept perpetuating the, the stereotype. And I n never liked the jewelry industry um, because I, it just it was just sh something shiny. Like it wasn't something that spoke to me uh, for one reason or another. And uh, so I decided be, just like how I started from the bottom in the television world, I'm going to start from the bottom in the jewelry industry. And so I spent uh, six months working in the factory every day from uh, 8 a.m. to noon, That like that first shift. And I learned hands-on how to make jewelry. Like I actually made my wife's engagement ring. Like I made her a nose ring. I made her some jewelry. Like, and, and it was, you know, I actually went from having zero understanding of like what this pretty shiny thing was to I, I was able to deconstruct uh, how it was made and whether it was handmade or uh, mass produced or whatever. And then I also went to the Gemological Institute of America to uh, learn how to um, grade diamonds. But what I enjoyed the most because my family's history is more connected with, with just the gem industry, not the diamond industry. So I was able to, when I assumed the sales role at the company, to talk to people about the, the majesty of the stone and the elements in the ground that influence the color uh, of that specific stone and then actually be able to point out the quality difference uh, and what made that product unique. And another benefit of just growing up in a certain industry, and it doesn't matter which industry you get to grow up in, is you get to see an idea come to life. Mm -hmm. And that was something I, like, I'll say was privileged to grow up with. I've seen my mom draw sketches, sketch after sketch with just ideas that she would come up with. And then bringing um, an illustrator to refine the sketches and then a model maker to take a, a drawing and then physically by hand. This is like before CAD was uh, computer aided design was more readily mm -hmm. available, which is uh, very 
uh, normal today, but up until a point, it was all handmade. Uh, and just watching that whole process come to life and then being responsible for selling it to the final consumer uh, was really instrumental um, to to my influence uh, or coming into the food industry. And was that what were you doing before you started, please? Was that right what, right up to the point where you decided to go and do something on your own? Yeah, so I... You know, I, I always have this kind of conversation with my with my mom. She always wanted me, uh, or my my parents, they wanted me to you know continue in the foot footsteps and uh, grow the business, uh, bring it into the new century. Uh, but because it wasn't something I personally was passionate about, it wasn't something I created. What I the lessons I took from my family was how do you take something from nothing and turn it into what they successfully turned their business into so i my whole thing like my mom was like why are you leaving why are you doing this why are you doing that you're not happy with this and i'm like no i am so uh like i so believe in your dream and in your path and what you've done for taking something small and turned it into what you've turned it i want to accomplish the same thing for myself so I've always had that drive ever since I was a kid, but I never knew what path that would take me on and how I decided how I this path uh, came about was uh, really um, I started a 22 day challenge uh, with with my girlfriend at the time. Now my wife plus two kids. Uh, so whatever we went through was very meaningful. And I just uh, remember at the end of it. So the the reason I accepted the challenge is I was unhealthy. I wasn't eating right. And I used to suffer from a lot of acid reflux uh, to the point where regular antacids weren't cutting it anymore. I, I really thought I, I needed to get Phylosec or whatever Ooh. the medication was uh, or is. Uh, and I, I thought like I reached that point, like I could not sleep at night. And so when I realized that adjusting my diet could help me sleep and reduce the acidity in my stomach uh, or my esophagus, I uh, decided to do that. And I remember on the second week of it starting, one of my wife's friends just asking like, oh, you're vegan now. Do you have superpowers? Do you have a lot of energy? Can you run faster? Like what's different? Are you flying? Like what, what is uh, so great about being vegan? And I like, literally, I, I like thought about it for a second. I'm like, I didn't have a, an immediate answer because I, everything felt normal. And then I was like, Oh wait, I, I sleep through the entire night. I don't wake up three times, like, like just suffering and drinking water or whatever to, to stop that acidity. Uh, and, and that really hit home with me. And of course, on the last, being from New York, uh, the last uh, thing I did at, or how I celebrated the end of the challenge is I went to my favorite pizzeria and I got three huge slices and I felt amazing for like 10 minutes and I felt horrible for a couple of days. And so that was really like the catalyst of going, okay, how I've been eating up to this point has uh, been hurting me. And I should probably adjust the way I eat. And, and how I know I was hurting myself is I used to be a heavy smoker also. 
uh, for a really long time, uh, almost two packs a day, like really bad wow. smoke. And then about when I turned 29, I, I just remember having this thought and I was like, you know, if I want to marry someone who is like caring and compassionate and, and like she, she's not going to want to marry a smoker, you know, like I don't I like I have this this idea, like if I want this sweet girl or whatever, like she's not going to want to be with a smoker. And the funny thing is, uh, uh, just to, to, to drive to that point, is when I met my wife, she was a smoker. Uh, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. But, but really how I equate uh, tra- my transition to full-on vegan was, because uh, I used to call it plant-based, because vegan is like, you know, a no-no word that you can't tell people. But how I uh, transitioned was just like how I quit smoking. It was about nine months between the day I said I quit to my last cigarette. But when I had my last cigarette, that was my last cigarette. And the same thing happened to me with uh, when I changed my diet. At first, it was just for home use, uh, you know, when we could cook by ourselves. Um, And then I had all these loopholes like uh, holidays or... Uh, pizza, or if I was on the road, because I used to travel a lot uh, for work. So I, I had all these loopholes. But I, I, I realized um, at some point after watching uh, Forks Over Knives, and also uh, Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead, mm-hmm. those two documentaries uh, really stood like with me. They like, of all the things that I saw. Uh, and I decided at that point, like, I think I had one last shawarma and, uh, and that was it. And I haven't had, uh, anything on purpose, uh, that I know of, um, in the last uh, eight or seven, yeah, eight years at this point. Uh, but anyway, yes, I've always wanted to start, uh, some sort of business and Mm -hmm. having changed my diet, like just to, this is the last part of the origin story. Thank you, everyone, for listening so far. Uh, <laughs> I was sitting, uh, and I, and if you, if anybody's ever heard me talk about my company, I tell this story over and over again. It's like one of those, like on a loop. Uh, but it was this moment that changed my life, and I was sitting and having lunch with my brother, and I'm having a salad, and he's having like something with meat in it. And he's a very silent guy. He's an introvert. He doesn't talk a lot unless he's very passionate about whatever he's talking about. And we're literally like across the table from each other. And and I'm looking at my salad. And out of nowhere, he's just like, what the fuck's wrong with you? And, and I'm like, what? It's like, what kind of fucking New Yorker are you? How can you live without pizza? What What's wrong with you? And, and I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and and it, it like really hit me because and why he said this and where that thought came from is because even like pizza has always been my life and when i um and 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 to to express that when when i was in my 20s you would call me and you were in manhattan and it didn't matter what time of day or night it was I could tell you, depending on where you were, where the best slice of pizza was. And when I worked <laughs> That's in a real, skill. That That's was my, that was my skill. skill. Of course, 
a majority of those places don't exist anymore, so it doesn't help uh-huh. me <laughs> as it used to. But that was that was my my superpower. And when people would move into, um, I, I grew up on the Upper West Side. I live in Harlem now. But when I when people move into uh, the Upper West Side, like near where I grew up, I would always have like the like on the refrigerator when they moved in the best pizzerias. And I was like, this one when you just want to slice. This one mm-hmm. when you want to order home. This one after ten. You know, like I just. I, I knew and and so that was my entire personality, uh, like my 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 persona when it came to food. And so when my brother said that to me, I was I I, I agreed with him. I was like, what what the fuck is wrong with me? Well, like, wh- what am I doing to myself? Like, th- wh- what's what's wrong with me? And so I told uh, my girlfriend at the time uh, that story. And how I knew she was going to be my wife is when she said, we're going to show him. (laughs) And she like literally like went like, uh, you know, this this is like minutes later. I'm telling her the story. And and she like at that moment went to a supermarket. She went to Fairway and she got uh, pre-made pizza dough she got all the ingredients for a sauce and i'm just going to say the available plant-based cheese on the market at the time um and she like the whole time like as i'm on my way home she's like making the pizza and doing all the things and like as i get out of the subway she she put it in the in the oven and so when i get get home she shows me the ugliest pizza you ever saw in your life, like just with strands and like it's oblonged and off shape and it's just, I like it looked horrible. Uh, and, but we, it had been so long since we had cheese that when I ate it, I was like, oh, wow, this, this actually isn't bad. I would eat this. Like it's better than nothing. That like those were like the the thoughts that went through my mind. And then as I was looking at my second slice, I just went, "But no New Yorker is ever going to accept this on pizza, ever." And so my whole mission at the time became, "How do I make this cheese functional?" That was like mm-hmm. step one. And back to my personality. So I I started from zero. I where, where I thought we were already good is we had a sauce, like my wife's uh, wonderful tomato sauce, like she makes a really great tomato sauce, and we had a cheese, like I didn't have to think about it. And and then I went, okay, so my new obsession has to be how to make amazing dough. Like that has to be my thing. Mm-hmm. And I literally, we, we would watch TV, and I would like hand uh, knead the dough watching TV and... Uh, and, and like that was our tradition. I would just like I would sit there. We'd watch a show. I'd put it in the refrigerator. Next day, we'd make a pizza, and it, we were doing it so much that our friends for our um, for one of our birth our birthdays are next to each other. They got us a a, a, Ken, a KitchenAid, and so like they like that belief in us like really took us through the next steps. And we're like, wow, this is this is the this is like, we're doing something. This is great. And, and I just remember, uh, I made a pizza one, uh, one weekend and invited my family over and my brother took a strand before it was melted. He just wanted to taste it. Same brother. And he, he just took a strand and this is not being like, 
you can see me right now, but the audience who's listening to this cannot see my face. But the the look of disgust on his face when he took a bite, he like and then spit it out. I I was like, this is not good enough. Now I I've perfected the dough. Now I have to figure out the cheese. Uh, and at the time, the most uh, authentic looking pro- like thing you could make uh, was cashew cheese. So like our our living room and kitchen were filled with jars fermenting, uh, you know, days and days and days. And and that was uh, the beginning of of this obsession. And and how and, and my wife she would post all these things on Instagram, and and I still worked like this was just a hobby. But how how that like became more than a hobby is that we didn't realize it but when she registered uh for instagram she put her phone number you know in in the account that's how you Mm -hmm. verify it and she so people started calling us uh like in the middle of the night like you know just sitting at home and one day and 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 so this first call it happened more than once but the first call is the one that like really threw us off and they're like Hey, we're we're on the Upper West Side. We're looking for pizzeria. Where is it? We are so ha- hungry. We want to find this, and we almost invited them to our house, but then we're like, eh, maybe not. Uh, that that was, was me, by the way. That was me. Ah, oh, I knew it. That's why you sound so familiar. <laughs> but that that um, that conversation drove us to want to learn more. Like, how do we open our own pizzeria? And so I like every morning when I woke up, woke up, uh, and got to the not woke up when I got to the computer at work. Um, I always uh, like my instead of reading the news or whatever uh, Yahoo, you know, whatever thing you usually see, I would go to um, to PMQ to Pizza Magazine Quarterly, Pizza Today, and I would just read all of the forums and all the advice of how to start a pizzeria. So that was. You know, I wrote a business plan uh, based off of that, and actually, ha- how I um, how how I started figuring out this is because this is a mutual friend of ours. Uh, how I started figuring out how to uh, price our product, or like how should it be priced, is Ace Natural, who's a distributor that I work with, thanks to Neil. Uh, is uh, like I I just found their their list and I registered to become like a, a restaurant in their system whatever and and that's how I found out what my like what the competitive prices were for the product so that's how I knew what what price it what my cost needed to be yep. so so anyway this was all like this is all just hobby and learning and and then one day I just uh, we got invited to open um, uh, a small restaurant in uh, in a food court that never opened, but we were invited to. That was the exciting thing, and uh, and I remember asking the the person who was opening this food court, if you were me, uh, and you never worked in food before, what would you do right now? Like there was two years until it was going to open, and she said, quit your job right now and go work in a pizzeria. And I listened to her. I uh, broke my family's heart. I just to well, my position at the company. I was director of sales. I was in charge of going to Neiman Marcus, Saks Fifth Avenue, 
Um, Bloomingdale's, like any department store you could think of, I was the road warrior going to, I, I spent three to four days on the road um, going to all these stores and, and like understanding the customer experience. And I took the business uh, from when I started, we're doing like 400, just the brand. The mm-hmm. factory is a different story, but the brand itself uh, was also kind of a hobby. They were doing 400K uh, a year. And within two years, I brought them up to 2 million. By the way, just for authenticity, there is a siren in the background. Uh, <laughs> so you know I'm actually in New York. It's not uh, nil uh, <laughs> pressing <laughs> sound effects. Uh, there's a hospital not too far away from here. Um, so yeah, so I left all of the comforts of an office, people working for you, an expense account. Uh, and I left all that behind to, to work in a, in a local pizzeria in my neighborhood. And, but what was funny about that pizzeria is that the guys who owned it, it was a similar thing where it was, uh, the father was in the jewelry industry and the son didn't want to be in the jewelry industry. So he opened a pizzeria. Uh, so we, we got along really great. Uh, I didn't tell them why I was there, <clears throat> but I, I definitely, uh, really enjoyed my time working with those guys. And, um, and the intention was for you to get knowledge about how to run a pizzeria so that when you did launch your own, you'd be uh, at least aware of what it takes to do it. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I realize I'm, ta- I'm spending a lot of time talking about all these different steps, but it but was- that's great. No, I would I would love because I now I want to know why didn't you launch a pizzeria? Because, I, in fact, you that was going to be my logical next question, which is this sounds like you're going to start a pizzeria. Um, when you yeah. were talking about, you know, the, the challenges with your brother, obviously I want to know what your brother thinks of your cheese now, but we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a whole nother funny story, but, um, what's, what's really, uh, so we, I went to work in this pizzeria and at the time we're making cashew based cheese pizzas. Everyone loved it. It was like, we we're a sensation online, blah, blah, blah. This was this is, we were going to open this restaurant. We knew it was going to happen. And working in that restaurant made me realize um, how per, per, pervasive, pervasive uh, allergies are, mm. food allergies are with kids. And the big one that really made me change my entire business was realizing you cannot bring nut-based products into schools. And so our whole mission from the beginning, because I didn't like the what the available plant-based cheeses were doing, was no kid should have a weird pizza. Uh, but if we can't bring the pizza into a school, then we're not helping the situation. It's just uh, perpetuating it. So, and then I, I started imagining like putting warning signs on pizza boxes and like if you're allergic to nuts, don't walk into this pizzeria. Like it was like a whole thing that went through my mind when I had this realization. And it wasn't just that it was also, um, soy and corn were the two uh, the other two allergens that people kept on pointing out and asking about. Uh, and so I remember like having this, this wheel of thoughts is like just going in a circle of like, what can I do? What's the solution? How can I make something, that people actually want. Uh, and I realized that you can Google patents at the time. I didn't know that. And everything uh, that I found was either made out of soy or 
out of nuts. And at some point in the middle of the night, I just kind of went, well, soy is a bean. What other beans are there? And that's kind of what started this whole trajectory. This is everything that we're doing. And now to answer your question, uh, the reason we didn't open a restaurant first is because we realized, so after, so pause on that. After working at the pizzeria and realizing it's like mom and pops, I, I will understand how to run one pizzeria. But if, I, if my goal and dream one day is a chain, then I have to get corporate experience. And so I, I, I left them and I went to work uh, at, a, at a, a juice place uh, that was even closer to my house. So it was easier. It was a nicer commute. And that's uh, where I, I literally understood like how much you need to sell uh, a day uh, to pay your to pay your cogs. And when I realized first off the potential that we could have in the right neighborhood, I also realized we wouldn't be making it ourselves by hand. We wouldn't be able to keep up with our daily requirements. And at the time, we were fermenting the product for three days before we uh, we we cooked it, and so that that step was just making it impossible to actually uh, to, to actually create a pizzeria that a vegan pizzeria that was self sustainable. Is it doable outside of, of Manhattan, outside of New York City? One hundred percent. People do this all the time, but the volume, the sheer volume of people that would have potentially come to our restaurant just for the minimums of our daily requirements, we, we wouldn't have been able to, to meet that demand. So that, that first pivot, what, once we invented a new product, uh, and at the time we're using uh, just a broad range of white beans that we uh, settled on, uh, and having a, success, a very successful uh, event, like a tasting event, uh, in Miami through Whole Foods uh, Seed and Wine Festival. Uh, mm-hmm. We got to teach 300 kids how to make pizzas. And the whole time, their parents kept on stealing their slices and then asking, like, where do we get this cheese? Why is it only limited to New York? Will you open a pizzeria here? Can you sell us the, the a frozen pizza? Can you sell us cheese? And, and that all those questions from one, one event with this new cheese made us uh, realize that maybe our pivot isn't uh, making it for our own restaurant, but maybe the pivot is uh, we should be making this cheese for all the restaurants. And, you know, that's, I guess, the, that, that's what kind of led us on this journey. We joined a bunch of incubators and accelerators, and we took this this thing that the, the, like you know a jar of oozing like fermenting cheese that we made and i through the good food institute i uh connected with uh different food scientists food, food science teams that specialize in taking a homemade recipe and then uh scaling it up to the industrial uh industrial scale and that how did you uh, can I ask you a quick question? How did you get into the incubators? Like, how was how did you approach that step? Given you at this point, really been deep down the path of potentially starting your own pizzeria and simultaneously discovering that maybe you needed to tweak your ingredients to make it more allergen friendly uh, and uh, more widely available. How did you go from that? That one, you seemed like you were heading down that path. How did you uh, pivot onto the next one? 
and and make the leap into you know now you suddenly found yourself in the world of food tech right you're yeah. you've got to formulate a product and then you're basically entering a whole new industry yeah product How did that jump happen yeah um so back to knowing where my holes of knowledge are and understanding that i don't know everything about everything i looked for um for guidance. So that's how I, I got connected with the Good Food Institute. And that's also how I uh, connected with uh, this incubator here in New York. It's called Hot Bread Kitchen. Uh, they just moved to Brooklyn, but they used to be based here in Harlem. And uh, they specialize in, in taking small, small ideas uh, because they have a shared commercial kitchen. And then both giving a discount on the the access to the commercial kitchen, uh, but also figuring out how to not fail at creating mm-hmm. a food business. And there are people there like with uh, uh, cupcakes and and, and uh, private chefs, and there are a lot of different ideas. One of them, um, one of the people, won a bunch of baking competitions and now has her own uh, location on the Upper West Side. So like, there's a we're good alumni from, uh, mm-hmm. from that, uh, cohort. And they were really, uh, the ones who showed us the business side of it, of, of what it, like what it would mean to focus specifically on a product. And then they are the ones who recommended you should find a food scientist because once I did my cogs, uh, my cost of goods, uh, at the time, the way we were making it, it cost me, four to five dollars a pound without that's that was just for the ingredients that's without mm-hmm. co- like the cost of labor and, and packaging and storage and all that other stuff and so there was no uh there was no way for that to be um profitable or or worth scaling up and and on top of it one of the reasons i couldn't work with a commercial kitchen was i wanted it to be allergen friendly and i wanted it to be kosher and cross-contamination is a big deal. And I wanted it to be gluten-free. Now, obviously, you put this product on pizza that contains gluten. Uh, but I have a lot of different friends that, that, that had recently had been diagnosed with celiacs. And I wanted to make sure that if I'm already going after all the allergens, that's to keep it as tight as possible. Uh, and having those, like dramatic requirements and not because i knew i know how people are the second they turn over the package and say produce in a facility that also contains blah 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 uh, my whole allergen side allergen friendly side of it was like thrown out of the thrown out there was no no point to it uh so that uh incubator really uh helped educate us and put everything into perspective which led to founding the the company, uh, please please foods, and and uh, and going away from the idea of it just being a pizzeria, and then going on the journey of okay, how do I raise money? Mm-hmm. And and the biggest lesson I learned um, from taking this from from nothing because I, I I then found out how much a food scientist was. Uh, and if it was only the amount of money that they told me it was at the time, <laughs> the whole thing would be completely different. Uh, but I, I found these foods and I'm like, how am I going to pay for these guys? 
And so I went on this mission of like writing a business plan and all that. My first business plan was 16 or 20 pages long. Uh, and it was because when I went to college, that's how long a business plan needed to be. Yeah. And then I, uh, through uh, the small business development corporation that in New York, in upper Manhattan is connected to Columbia University, I took a quick course that taught me how to condense that, those 16, 20 pages because I was writing bibliographies. Like I, I really like was put, putting all my sources and they're like, no, get this to two pages. And, and that's, and that's what I had to do because when it was that long, I couldn't get anybody's attention. Nobody was going to read that much, but there was so much research that had gone into the price point and the products. And like, I, I poured my all into it. And then I learned after a whole summer of doing that, nobody gave a fuck uh, and, and just get it condensed as much as possible. So one of the biggest aspects of this journey wasn't just, uh, you know, taking an idea and figuring it how to make it into a product, but it's figuring out how to set up a company, uh, how to, to raise money from people, what kind of a, like what you need to say to get people's attention. Uh, you know, I could go on and on about the, the discovery process. Um, but one of the biggest lessons I learned early on was please, the name please, I, I came up with that. Uh, I, I was just sitting on my couch. Before that, uh, the pizzeria's name was Kobef. My wife's name is Abef. So our, our Bragelina name is, is Kobef. And so that was, that was the name of the pizzeria. The whole concept, everything behind it was Kobev, Kobev. And uh, we met with an investor and they're like, nobody knows what a Kobev is. Uh, you need to come up with a name for a product that says what it is. And a great example, by the way, Neil, is Plantega <laughs> is a great example of a great name. And kind of probably how you came up with that name is how I came up with Please. I just remember realizing that silk was soy milk. Uh, and then I went, oh, please, plant cheese. And, that, and that, was, that was the beginning of that. But because it was just an idea, something I came up with, I didn't trust it. And that's another thing is that when you start uh, and you have all these experiences where you don't trust, you learn to not trust your gut anymore, um, you, that, that just... Um, brings more failure and with those failures come lessons. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you're going to start your own business, you have to learn how to trust your gut. And so I, you know, people would say to me like, please, you can't Google that. It's going to correct auto correct it. Uh, and, and this and that, and they would just give me all these reasons why it wasn't a good name. So I, I remember hiring this marketing company that took way too much money, effort, life out of me. Uh, and they tested names against it and, uh, their, their names were horrible. They were just, they were just the worst. And the one that their, their research, nobody can see me doing the air quotes. I'm doing air quotes very sarcastically. Uh, their research came back and said that the best name out of the four that they came up with, uh, I probably am signed to a, a to confidentiality, but fuck them uh, because so <laughs> you paid them. Terrible. Yeah, uh, it, they came up with the name Vegifol. 
for for a, for a plant-based cheese and i'm like why why is that a good name what what's going on like why do you think it's bet vegiful and and i just thought vegiful is veggie awful like that was like the first thing i came up with and i believed them for a while i was like you know what their research says blah 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 and the first time they tried to introduce me as the ceo of vegiful i just i could I could. I was like, no, this is awful. I don't care how much money I paid you. It's please. It's just please. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I paid a lot of money to realize that I needed to trust my gut uh, from the beginning. Sometimes uh, you got to learn those lessons, right? And and so when, when did you actually have your first product and when did you start to uh, either go to trade shows or get people to really give you feedback on it? Because you know, let's not lose sight of where why you even created this product. It's partly, and I'm maybe I'm I'm um, I'm taking things from what you said and and drawing my own conclusions. But let me try to paraphrase it and not be too blunt, but also be blunt at the same time. It's very clear that the cheeses that existed in the market didn't meet your um, your requirements from a taste bud standpoint and did not perform how. You know, I would I'll say this myself. I don't know which year this was that you were trying to make uh, your pizza with uh, with vegan cheese, but most of the cheese that was available in the market was pretty awful, um, at best mediocre. Um, yeah. But you know, because us vegans uh, hadn't had cheese for a long time, we would eat it happily because it was better than nothing. Um, and better than having to make it ourselves and spending hours fermenting cashews and doing other things, right? So I guess I'm, I really want to talk about the product. Like how did, because of course I've, I've tasted your product. I love the product. Um, if those listening have not tried it, I, I hope they get a chance to try, please. Uh, it is very different from anything that existed before. Even if it didn't have all these claims around being allergen-free, it would still be a great functioning tasting product right the fact that it also is free of all those allergens is just like uh blows my mind almost but um when did you feel like you had landed on the product that you could be proud of that that you could actually you know put all your uh plant-based eggs in that basket uh to decide what you were going to do with it next yeah so really what happened um is I stopped working with that marketing company. My food scientists uh, that I worked with at the time were able to create a very, uh, taking my rest, my ingredients, and they were able to cut the production time and the cost down uh, tremendously. And doing the, and the way they did that is they knew what was the available uh, ma- mass scalable ingredients on the market, and they understood. This is something I didn't know at the time. You know, to soak a bean and then to to actually get it to to become a milk or whatever, that's a a two-day process. Uh, And the the amount of bacteria that can be created in that process is is detrimental. You end up uh, ruining everything that you started with. Um, So part of what the food scientists uh, were able to to do is find uh, ingredients that could be rehydrated. So you don't have to spend two days uh, turning it into a milk. 
and, and that was one thing that tremendously brought the costs down, especially with the labor and everything else involved with, with that side of it. Uh, but how I knew I had a product that I that I loved is I started putting it. Um, we had developed uh, a couple of flavor profiles, and I put them in front of kids. And for me, uh, you know, the first iteration tasted too much like coconut oil. Like there, there's the, all these little things that people who have tried vegan cheeses they know about. And so there's like usually weird aftertaste, or that's too sticky. It's too this. It's too that. And, and I did, I don't like those aspects of it. So my whole thing was I need to, to make it not sticky and not take, have a horrible aftertaste. And we kept on putting it in front of kids. And when we landed on a profile that were like, Oh, kids love this. Uh, that's when we, we started, uh, pitching it to, to, to people and companies. And it's something you brought up before you start recording is I had a pitch with a, a glass wall syndicate. Uh, when I was early, just starting out and, um, you know, my first kid was like literally born two months before this pitch and I was penniless and I was like literally making the product by myself. And I just, I all of a sudden went from this very confident person who believed in, in everything to like, I'm a dad now. I can't fuck up. I need to really like take this seriously. And I got the yips. I got like, I was so self-conscious. I like couldn't, I, I would mumble. I, I couldn't get a sentence out. And this, these were things that were just what I lived and breathed. And um, I, I got to that pitch and I completely bombed it. I did horrible. I, I really like couldn't answer people's questions. I didn't know what the answers were. And I had the, the option at that moment to like just give up. Uh, and forget about all of this, uh, or keep on going. And I kept on going and I kept on going and nothing was working out. Everything just felt worse. I was about to quit completely and just focus on my family, uh, and, and just get a regular job. And, and like one night, like really depressed, I'm just sitting in bed. I can't sleep. I'm on my iPhone, you know, on the phone. And, uh, and I saw an ad for plant-based world. And that was in 2019 and it was a month, month out. And I, I called them, I found out how much it costs. And I literally got my tax return, uh, two days before that. And it was for exactly the same amount of money. And I just, I was like, I'm there, I'm doing this right now. And me and my uh, friend from middle school created the booth, like designed it together. We just put it all together. Like, like last minute, like, the ink was still drying on some of the uh, papers uh, when we got to the show. And I was so lucky uh, that the person running the show placed me across from Miyoko. And Miyoko is someone who I look, look up to. She pioneered this industry. She's such an amazing person. And just, you know, just we fell in love with her on YouTube watching like all these amazing things that she was creating and teaching people how to, 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 to venture into plant-based cheeses. Uh, so like actually getting to be across from her, it was like a moment, like it was so surreal. It was so surreal. Uh, and that got us, uh, in front of, um, well, we didn't have to advertise that we're there. That was for sure. 
but uh, that got the attention of the people from Big Idea Ventures, uh, which is a famous accelerator in the food tech industry, especially plant-based, but also uh, cell meat and all that other stuff. Uh, and that gave us the chance because we started getting orders, but we had no idea how to produce them. And thanks to that accelerator, one of the mentors found us uh, an, uh, an avenue for production. So before that mentor, I was going to self-produce. I found I connected with Rutgers University. They had the same room that Impossible used to get into market. They were leasing to me. And but right before I or as I signed the lease, uh, they found me another way. Like they found me a co-man uh, based in Wisconsin. And I just went, that's so cool. Like <laughs> when I, when I thought of it, wherever would I ever like, where's the dream place I could make plant-based cheese it was always either Wisconsin or Vermont. Uh, and when that happened, I was like, you know, this is a sign. I think I'm going to have to follow in this direction. So I was very uh, lucky for that opportunity that it, it came together. And then of course, when we produced our first ever commercial batch, it was a uh, three day, three weeks before the pandemic, before lockdown. So uh, this whole, yeah. And, and, yeah. And without going, I know you don't have a lot of time and I've, I've been rambling off along for, for a really long time, but like, th so you asked like, when were you ready? When was it the product right. ready? So, that first batch produced two versions. One had more of one ingredient and one had a, a different ingredient. And uh, we had at Big Idea Ventures, we had a, our, our demo day was coming up. And so I had to find, I was the only one from New York and I'm the one who talked about pizza all day long. So I had to find a, a pizzeria that represented our, our product. And without going into another long 10 minute tangent, uh, I connected with uh, the owner from Vito Slices and Ices. It's on 36 and 9th Avenue. Uh, this guy has gone from just somebody I met uh, from reading his Yelp reviews to one mm -hmm. of, like, he's one of my best friends now. I, I don't know if that's sad for either one of us, but... Uh, it's pretty but, normal in this industry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that guy has done so much for me. Like, I, I we got uh, the opportunity to... Uh, send our pizzas at 7 a.m. to Z100 because they wanted to talk about it on National Vegan Day. And uh, he woke up at 5 a.m., like drove from Brooklyn uh, to make sure I had pizza. And then he took me there and then he took me home. Uh, like I, I, that guy is amazing. Uh, John Accardi is amazing. Uh, and so, but how I met him as I was just finding from his Yelp reviews. And I talked to a few pizzerias before I talk to him and they're always like, vegan? No, we don't do that. Or no, you can't bring your own cheese. Like they, they and, and I remember one of these guys like said, no, we don't do that. And I like, and he hung up on me and then I called back. I'm like, no, I'm paying you. Like I'm buying pizza. I'm not asking you like <laughs> you are getting money. I'm just asking you to put this product on your cheese, on your, on your pizza. And, and when I met John uh, or when I called his restaurant, the person I talked to was just like, uh, oh, you have a vegan cheese? We've been looking for one. I'm vegan. Uh, like, or I wish I could be vegan. Well, it was one of those. And, uh, and so she introduced me to the owner. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll try it. Why not? 
And I uh, go to the pizzeria the next day and with those two versions. And he just goes, yeah, that's the one. That That's the one that looks like pizza. And I just remember taking my first bite into that, that slice. And, and I teared up because everything from that first pizza, the first ugly pizza, this is why <laughs> the story is so long. Uh, that first ugly pizza was like my dream was the pizza I had at that moment, you know, New York style slice. So at every single step I went through was to accomplish the dream that was just in front of me at that moment. And, uh, and that, that's how it started. We wanted to create a CPG product, yeah. but we ended up focusing on food service because three days later, uh, was when lockdown started and we had a whole bunch of product that was meant to be done in presentations and there was uh we wanted to launch uh with uh, the chef at the metropolitan museum of art there was like all these amazing opportunities before the world locked down and we had all this product just sitting in our refrigerator and we're like we got to get this out to people and that started uh the campaign of how people got to know us and and i was on linkedin like the world was silent and i so i started like going into LinkedIn and I saw everyone from my <clears throat> accelerator getting stuff written about them and raising money and doing all these amazing, great things. And before all of this, I was going to connect with the PR person, but they wanted like five grand a month. Mm. I, and at that moment I didn't, <laughs> didn't have money to pay somebody else. So I, again, I Googled how to write a press release and, and that's how uh, it really um started to take off and so that was the beginning of the pandemic by um that summer by august we had gone from our first scale uh you know experimented pilot product to our first large pilot so we went from 40 pounds to 250 pounds uh you know that's a, a small mm -hmm. jump for me to make 40 pounds back in the day was like two <laughs> days work you know, so the first time they made 40 pounds, it's just like uh, 20 minutes later, you know, it's just let it cool for two weeks. You know, it was one of those situations. Um, sorry, I'm just reflecting on. <laughs> yeah, no, that's huge. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, it's funny, like I'm I'm so glad we spend so much time on the on, on your on your story leading up to this moment, because it often gets. I mean, the, the longer you get in your journey as an entrepreneur, that early uh, timeline, uh, which seems like a lifetime in itself, like every minute, every day feels like forever, often gets summed up in a few quick sentences like, oh, no, I did this and I got into this incubator and I got an investor and next thing you know, we launched a product and everything was great. Also, I must uh, I, I must acknowledge and appreciate in your telling of your story is that you don't leave out the tough parts um, and the parts where you, you screwed up or things didn't go exactly according to plan because it's tempting to just, you know, paint the most beautiful version of the story and get to the present where perhaps things are working really well or better than it was in the past. So, you know, I'm, I, I appreciate you telling the story in that way. I'm curious where things stand, like where do things stand right now? Uh, what's where can people find please cheese and what's what's really next for you with with this journey and 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 before we we wrap up I do want to know what your brother thinks about your uh, cheese now. 
I know uh, I have a meeting coming up. That's why we're summing up so quickly. Uh, You know, the reason I I went into the whole story is because of your audience. I think that being an entrepreneur, if you just followed me on LinkedIn or whatever, you'd think this is all glamorous and easy and everybody should do it and blah, blah, blah. This is not. This is one of the hardest things you could do. And the difference between uh, you following your dream and not following your dream is only you. Uh, and, but it's not, it's not easy. It's, it's hard. There's a lot of sacrifice, a ton of sacrifices and you end up having to learn how to do roles and things that you never knew how to do before. But if you don't do it and you don't learn how to do that, it's never going to happen and you're going to go into the wayside. Uh, and so that's my, my personality. One thing I try to kind of point out other than the, the Jewish stereotype is that I, um, my personality is it has to be right. You can't just make something and, and just accept it. It has to be perfect. And that I can tell you comes from working in the jewelry industry and like really observing the finer details. Um, but to, to go from uh, that 250 pounds, uh, in, in January, we made our first truckload. And that is really like to go from 250 pounds to 40,000 pounds is such a it's it's such a journey. It's such a dream. And for for, you know, it's for me, it's one thing if uh, vegans like your product, it's not we just discussed how the bar has been set pretty low. But my biggest victory was uh, at Pizza Expo um, that happened in March. And thanks to that, we're, we're going to launch with two different uh, chains, uh, both in Ohio and Virginia. Uh, and what's funny, like I always talk about this. I'm like, because I'm from New York. We're from New York. We say if we can make it here, you can make it anywhere. But with food, if you can make it in the middle of the country, that's how you know you're going to make it everywhere. Um, and just to answer your question. So, yeah, I mean, right now we, we went from in 2020 we were in one restaurant that just needed 20 pounds a month that restaurant now consumes 200 to 300 pounds a month uh and has gone from just an unknown pizzeria in manhattan out of 2800 pizzerias in new york city to it's the number fourth ranked vegan pizzeria in new york they're not and they're not vegan but other people on the list are either a chain restaurant uh or they're already a vegan restaurant he just has please on his menu and he's got he's number four uh i think in the usa but definitely in new york uh and to answer your question and and with a nice little bow is that currently you can find please cheese in all 20 and soon to be 40 locations of plantega throughout the new york city metropolitan region um one of the uh, one of the things i i forgot to ask you and i can kind of I, I wish I didn't ramble off so much because I really wanted to bring this point across is that, you know, a lot of people when you start this don't believe in you and they just dismiss you really quickly and they just look at you, look at you up and down. And they're like, eh, whatever, it's another thing. And that has happened like countless amount of times over and over again. And you having gone through the process at Plantega to find the right mix of menu items, uh, actually got to experience our product the way it was intended. And you got to compare it with other products on the market. And you yourself have been through the same kind of journey trying to find a cheese replacement. 
uh, and you recognize um, the validity of the product and how good it is, and that recognition and bringing it into the Plantega system has tremendously increased uh, my business and my opportunities and my growth. So I don't know if I thank you enough for this, but I will like to spend my last 30 seconds seriously thanking you uh, for, for believing in us and our product. And I'm really looking forward to growing this business with you. You were one of my partners. I appreciate that. Uh, thank you for those kind words. I, I, I feel like you... Um, you don't know how good a product you have sometimes, um, uh, and you don't, you feel like you need validation, but trust me, you have a great product. Um, we, we just were lucky to come across it at the right time. And I, it's funny that you mentioned plant-based world back in 2019. I had no idea you were there. Uh, I, that's my one regret from that show that year is I didn't get enough time to walk the floor <laughs> because I was too busy meeting too many people. Cause I was actually involved in the planning of the event. That I that I never I actually was just so excited to be there and to see it all come together. Yeah. Um, but it's a funny full circle moment to to hear you mention plant based world. I didn't know about that. That yeah, as you were there. It was one of those moments that changed my life. It, it's like I think when I get to my most desperate moments, we talked about this earlier, and I'll, I guess I can end on this. I didn't want to. <laughs> Not very religious, uh, but I. Uh, but I've learned something is that God doesn't put you in a situation that you can't get yourself out of. And if you believe in that, it doesn't matter what that God is or whatever it is. Uh, but knowing that you're, you've been put in that situation as a test and how you get out of it is what will determine your future. Uh, and I have all those moments to thank to where I am right now. Gobi, I appreciate your insights, your your story, and your um, honesty. Uh, you didn't answer my question about your brother yet, so I'm going to give you one last oh. chance to do that. So what so, is his opinion of your pizza? And maybe he's he's the one pushing you to make it better, so who knows? <laughs> he won't touch it. <laughs> <laughs> I tell my family, his name is Perry. Hi, Perry. I tell my family that please is short for Perry's cheese. Uh. <laughs> well i actually kind of love that he does he's not yet uh you know because the day when he's when he's finally into it is when you know you've officially made it so you always have to strive uh for his approval even if you don't want to admit that no it's it, but i at this point <laughs> the fact that he doesn't want to touch it just makes me feel better it's like because he he knows that it's like it's got to be good. He can't like it, you know. Like that's that, that's uh, if if I've risked everything in my life for the last X amount of years, he, it has to be good, and he can't like it. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's too funny. Well, um, Kobe, I'm I'm excited to have uh, you part of the Plantega ecosystem and to get to know you better and uh, uh, as being one of our partners and a friend and a fellow New Yorker, which we are very excited to have another. New York brand on our uh, list of companies that doesn't happen too often. And, um, you know, excited to see where this journey goes next. Um, I'm, I know you're just uh, getting started and I can't wait. Like, I'm almost surprised that, you know, pizzerias have other vegan cheese. Like, it makes no sense. <laughs> There's the best one and it's yours. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's just they don't know yet. And yeah. that's, that's the thing. That was what uh, Pizza Expo, the first time, that, that's what it taught us, is that people didn't know. There are other things that were available, and now, now they know about us. And 
that's going to grow. Every uh, show that we do from here on out, people are going to know who we are. And a lot of that is, again, thanks to you. It really is. I, you know, I can say that all, all day long. I don't know if you're going to uh, appreciate uh, what you were a part of this journey, but you truly are. Um, and I'm proud, really proud to be one of your partners. And I can't wait to see us in 100 locations and the national and international. We're going to do this together. We are. Um, thank you, Kobe. And I'm sure this is going to be first of many conversations. So um, I'm looking forward to having you back and continuing this uh, story of Please Cheese. And it's how funny how our names are very similar to I didn't think of that till this moment, how yeah, Prime Tega and Please are so similar in that sense, like it draws from the same inspiration. <laughs> um, anyway, this has been fun and uh, I will let you go now, but I, I appreciate your time today and thanks for being on. Thank you. I can't wait to, uh, for the next one. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and rate and review it. To learn more about this podcast or my work, go to eftp.co. That's eftp.co. Thank you for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.